Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlene Haddad and I speak with Brandon Mintz, CEO of Bitcoin Depot. It has been a rough year for crypto, but what if there was a way to invest in the space while dodging the volatility? Bitcoin Depot hopes to be that stock and announced a $755 million combination with GSR2 Meteora Acquisition Corp in August. Brandon tells us how Bitcoin Depot has managed to build a crypto business without holding any crypto by serving customers through thousands of Bitcoin trading cash ATMs, a play with major consolidation of potential. The company's recent financial performance has also seen it continue to grow through the crypto highs and lows and generate profits in a manner uncorrelated with Bitcoin prices. GSR2 Meteora co-CEO Gus Garcia also joins to discuss why that fact was so important to his team's calculus in striking a deal with Bitcoin Depot. Take a listen. And so for starters, Brandon, I think a lot of our listeners are probably a little more crypto curious than active traders. And I know there's a wide spectrum there of, of how much people touch upon it. But could you just walk us through a little bit how someone who wanted to use Bitcoin as much as possible in their daily lives would do so and where Bitcoin Depot fits into that? We're really the access point for people to get Bitcoin, and that's our primary purpose. The company was founded with the mission to provide the largest network of retail access points to crypto possible. Um, So we're mostly targeting people who are more beginner, intermediate level, new to crypto maybe, or just simply people who don't prefer to use exchanges or cannot use exchanges because maybe they're a cash user. They're frustrated with the length of time it may take. But if somebody does want to use Bitcoin Depot, it takes about one to two minutes as simple as downloading our Bitcoin Depot wallet app typing in some identifying information and and getting Bitcoin immediately sent to you after you scan your wallet address at the machine and put in cash. Great. And for Gus, most SPAC deals we've seen in in the crypto space were thus far in the last couple of years were with SPACs that really aimed for a crypto target from the start. What I found interesting is that GSR2 Meteora is a bit of an exception that you had a broader viewpoint of opportunities and yet Bitcoin Depot still rose to the top there. How did you decide to dive in here? That's a great question because you're you're correct. We did not price our IPO with a view towards combining with a company in the crypto space. That wasn't our key target industry. But when we came across Bitcoin Depot, it met a lot of the requirements we were looking for. What we were looking for is a company that is the leader in the space, number one player in the industry, and an industry that is growing and that we believe is going to be here for the very long term. So Bitcoin Depot crossed all of those boxes. And then we dug into the business and said, what is it about this business that would be something investors latch onto, right? Number one, it's an easy way to convert cash to Bitcoin. You walk up to one of these kiosks, you put some cash in, and within a minute, you get crypto delivered to your wallet. So very low barriers to customer entry. The next was, you know, a lot of people use these kiosks. When we approached the business, we ourselves personally had not used a Bitcoin Depot kiosk. And so we we kind of struggled a little bit with, well, who is the target market? So we were very surprised, pleasantly surprised, um, to find out that there is a very large addressable market. So think of anybody that uses cash, that desires to use cash, that needs to use cash. They don't really have a way to plug into the financial system today. Bitcoin Depot allows them to. It's an on-ramp. It's the conduit from the cash world 
to the digital world because if I have cash and I need to send money to friends and family, I can do that by sending Bitcoin. If I have cash and I need to make online purchases, I can do that by using Bitcoin. And so that's where Bitcoin Depot comes in. And when you recognize that as a target market, it really opens up the possibilities because there's no correlation to the price of Bitcoin in this business. And that is intuitive because you don't really have anybody who's playing Bitcoin for the sake of having Bitcoin. They're using Bitcoin as a means to an end, such as sending money to friends and family and making online purchases. Right. And then just looking back at your customers, how much do you know about the demographics of your user base, as well as why and how they use your machines? Well, we do have thousands of survey responses from our users after they complete transactions. And there's a number of questions regarding demographics and why they use Bitcoin Depot and ultimately what they're doing with their Bitcoin. And the way it kind of breaks down is close to two thirds is actually for money transfer, remittances and online purchases. And the remainder is more store value, investing in something in the crypto ecosystem, converting Bitcoin to other cryptocurrencies. But really the vast majority is a real use case, uh, which is very different from online exchanges where the vast majority of transactions are more speculation, you know, people who are just trading, trying to make money based on the arbitrage opportunity. And in terms of demographics, our user has actually been shifting a little older over time. And we believe that's because crypto adoption has gone up dramatically over the past few years. But that means in the older end of the spectrum, let's say baby boomers, for example, now that you know, Bitcoin's 14 years old and it's proved to be legitimate. The market has grown quite drastically with a lot of large names entering the space. The older end of the range now feels comfortable to enter into the crypto ecosystem as well, with them being more on the conservative side of investing. And so we're seeing more users in that demographic start purchasing from us. And the percentage of those users from that demographic has grown over the past few years. So uh, when the business first started, I think the average age of our user was high 20s. But now it's actually crossed over 40 years old, probably in the low 40s right now, if I had to guess. Right. And then so knowing that information, how does that impact your strategy for where to deploy the your machines? Because our demographics are from a lot of different walks of life. You have more of the baby boomer type person that I just mentioned, but then you also have the underbanked, unbanked individual maybe conducting remittance transactions at the grocery store, maybe buying a prepaid card to make some purchases, there's not really a way to deploy a Bitcoin ATM where you're going to have access to all of those demographics perfectly. So we focus more on non-demographic data. One thing that's pretty common sense and easy to understand is you don't want to go into the highest competitive environment that exists because there's only a certain amount of customers for any product. And if you jump into a location with a Bitcoin ATM with 20 competitors within a mile, it's going to be a lot harder to make the same money as you would in a gas station or grocery store with one other Bitcoin ATM within a mile. So we just 
just believe in focusing on the competitive environment and making sure there's the right population and demographics that can support a Bitcoin ATM. But it's not an exact science to where we say, oh, you know, 30% of the population has to be this race or that age or this income level. Because our Bitcoin ATMs are so appealing to a few different types of people, typically they can be successful focusing on other factors, including our existing sales data. And so moving forward, do you plan on primarily expanding organically or are you guys looking at M&A opportunities for increasing that footprint in the future? We totally have the opportunity in front of us to expand quite a lot organically. To note, we're not in every single state in the U.S. right now. We're still not in Hawaii. We recently just got our money transmitter license in D.C. We're still not in Puerto Rico, and we're not in New York. And one thing to note, particularly about New York, is that it has around the same population as the state of Florida, the state of New York around 20 million people. But if you look at the number of Bitcoin ATMs in Florida, there's around 3,000, maybe it's up to 3,500 now. But in New York, there's only 250. So you ask yourself, why is that? And we believe it's just because of the regulatory environment and the bit license requirement to enter that state and conduct business as a crypto company. Now, fortunately for us, we're over two years into our bit license process at the moment. And we believe that it's possible that we could be in the very final stages of that process in 2023 and hopefully get approved, even though we've not been given any specific timelines by the state. And that would open up uh, an organic growth opportunity where we could grow the number of Bitcoin ATMs that we have or potentially revenue you know, well over 20% just from that one state opening up. And of course, we also have the largest retail relationships out of any Bitcoin ATM company. And one of our most important retailers is Circle K. They're the largest corporate owned convenience store chain in the US and Canada with close to around 10,000 stores. And they're totally exclusive with us uh, in both of those countries. And so we've been able to actually deploy close to 2000 Bitcoin ATMs with that retailer which leaves thousands more. So not even including everybody else in our sales pipeline, just with Circle K and the existing retailers we work with, there's a lot of opportunities to expand organically. But getting into the M&A opportunity in front of us, which is really one of the main reasons why we're pursuing this transaction and wanting to go public through a SPAC is because there hasn't been much M&A activity in the Bitcoin ATM space. There was an acquisition within the past year of a company called Liberty X by NCR. That was probably the most notable acquisition but other than that, the Bitcoin ATM space has really gone unnoticed. And I think that's because the VCs have been looking for companies the past few years where they could see, you know, their crazy 100x return profile. While Bitcoin ATM companies with already a thousand machines or more may not grow by 100x in five years, they could still generate very healthy returns. And so now that the market has shifted over the past year to more of a focus on profitability versus revenue growth and pushing profitability way out in the future, companies like Bitcoin Depot are a much more attractive target. And we're noticing a lot of interest 
because of the financial profile and profitability of the business, uh, considering our growth in 2022, regardless of all this turmoil. So that's going to allow us to provide that liquidity and consolidate the industry because we'll, we will be the exit plan for a lot of the existing players that are, are our competitors at the moment. Yeah, that's really interesting and something I wanted to get into a little bit more, but I also, you, you touched upon all of the various macro externalities you probably have flying around you. And, and so just to kind of address the elephant in the room in terms of the, the crypto turmoil itself, with both the, the exchange collapses and, and prices going down, how much do all of those different things affect you? And are, are you more affected by price changes or, or volume changes? How's it been? Well, to start first, I would talk about our lack of correlation to the prices of cryptocurrency. And we've publicly stated this, and there's even a slide in our public investor deck as well that shows our revenues over uh, the past few quarters, as well as the Bitcoin price. And you'll notice there's not a strong correlation at all with that. But regardless of where prices have been, there's been a lot of unfortunate activity with some companies in the space as well. A lot of exchanges and funds that have been put together have collapsed and you know billions of dollars have been lost and so a lot of people are asking us now well are you affected by this how is the business operating since then and i would say this turmoil with the actual companies in the space really started in late q2 with three arrows and then celsius preventing withdrawals. And then in Q3, you know, Celsius and Voyager essentially collapse. And then in Q4, FTX. But we've actually released our Q3 financials. And you'll notice Q3 and Q2 actually have been very strong growth quarters for us. In our investor deck, we compare our revenues for those quarters versus Q1 uh, versus some other prominent uh, companies in, in the crypto space like Marathon Digital Holdings and Coinbase, Riot Blockchain. And you'll see on that slide that we actually grew. I believe the numbers uh, from Q3 versus Q1 in terms of revenue are somewhere around 13% growth. And you'll notice that a lot of these other prominent public crypto companies during that same period declined 40, 50, 60, 70%. And so I think that really points even further to the lack of correlation of Bitcoin Depot to the broader crypto market, not just the crypto price. So we've been able to be extremely successful in these times. And so it points to this business and regardless of Bitcoin going up or down or companies successful and companies not successful that are our peers, uh, we can still flourish regardless. And it all kind of comes back to the thesis of this customer base not being as speculative as the online exchanges. We have a real use case. There's a lot more necessity and intent to the transactions from our customers versus those of exchanges that are largely institutional and obviously trading to try and make money. So I think that's a long-winded answer of explaining how we've been impacted. And to summarize, I would say we really haven't seen an impact in a negative way at all from recent market events. 
Yeah, I was thinking when looking through your materials that, you know, it almost seemed like at least some of the things in terms of what was unveiled that was going wrong with the exchanges and things like that and the collateralization of Bitcoin and all these other things that were happening from the institutional use that it might even be counterintuitively a boon to a Bitcoin depot just in that what you're doing is so much simpler and, and in theory safer. But I mean, on that point, I mean, do you custody consumer assets and do you have to hold a, a significant amount of Bitcoin for just your own liquidity purposes? Like, how does that work? Glad you asked that question, because that's one of the reasons why we've been able to do so well and have become one of the more trusted companies and names in this industry. It's because we have never held custody of any crypto assets since day one. I personally never wanted to, so I was always worried what could happen. And our Bitcoin Depot wallet that you can find on the App Store, if you download that, it's you'll notice it's entirely self Custodial. Bitcoin Depot does not have access to someone's login information or their private keys. So if Bitcoin Depot went bankrupt, someone's crypto that they had in a Bitcoin Depot wallet would remain unaffected. And Bitcoin Depot would not convert that cryptocurrency to their own balance sheet, like a lot of exchanges have been trying to do in their bankruptcies uh, to use to pay off creditors. And on top of that, our transactions are almost instant. They're very, very quick. It takes a couple of minutes and you see your Bitcoin incoming to your wallet. A lot of the exchanges, they don't have a way to easily allow someone to buy instantly or near instantly. There seems to still be a lot of hiccups with verification processes or issues with their actual websites and backend software. So you have people waiting potentially days for even just a customer support response. Whereas with Bitcoin Depot, someone can pick up the phone, they can call us, they can text us, they can live chat with us, and they can email us. And so it just provides that comfort and credibility that somebody would be looking for in a time like this, where there has been a lot of scary stuff the past six months. Your custody question brings to mind a, a lot of what we liked about Bitcoin Depot, which is the company doesn't custody assets, as Brandon just mentioned. It doesn't offer any token or any cryptocurrency other than Bitcoin. This is just a Bitcoin company. It does not provide wallets. It is not an exchange. It is not a miner. It is not a lender. So all of those things, you know, a lot of people look for a space that they have conviction in as far as what the long-term prospects are going to be. You know, this is a trend. I think Bitcoin is here to stay. I don't think it's ultimately going to go away completely. And I'd like a way to play the space, but geez, I, I sure do hate the volatility in the market. You know, we've all seen the headlines, even exchanges, which are meant to be companies that can earn a fee whenever folks buy and sell. So in theory, when markets are going up and down, haven't proven to be anything other than ultra beta plays on Bitcoin, right? They rise more when Bitcoin goes up and they go down more when Bitcoin goes down. So here in, in Bitcoin Depot, that lack of correlation to Bitcoin prices is driven by all the things that the company is not. It's driven by the fact that the company is being used to serve a utility to folks that use cash. They send money to friends and family to make online purchases. Proof's in the pudding. And then you saw all the volatility in 2022. Bitcoin prices being cut in half, all of the negative headlines that we saw. So we're not seeing that correlation that we talked about. We're not seeing a decline in, in business because of volatility. And for all those reasons, um, we're, we're pretty excited about Bitcoin Depot. 
Right. And Brandon, you briefly touched upon some of the regulatory issues within the Bitcoin space, but can you elaborate on that a bit? Just what are the main regulatory bodies that you have to deal with in North America to operate and expand? And exactly how does that differ from a traditional ATM operator? There's not any significant or even noticeable uh, large issues in the regulatory environment for us. But what I can do is I can give you an overview on how we're regulated. In the start, we're a money services business, and that designation comes from FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, that is the regulatory body for a lot of other businesses that fall in that category, such as remittance providers, check cashers, et cetera. And on a state level, you actually have to verify if you're required to get a money transmitter license from every single state that you operate in. And we have many of these licenses in in various states and have contacted every state that we operate in on whether or not we need a license. And a lot of our competitors um, have done the same. Some other competitors may not be doing as much diligence as we are to make sure that we're in good standing. And beyond that, some basic requirements are you have to have an AML compliance officer, uh, you know, overseeing the business and your transactions. We have a team of nearly 15 in-house W-2 compliance staff, uh, as well as a team of contractors as well uh, that help monitor activity and report on it as necessary. And of course, the activity brought to light comes from various alerts that we may get from some policies and procedures from our anti-money laundering program that we have in place. And one of the most important things that is not only required, but is a best practice to prevent illicit activity is having know your customer requirements in place. So with Bitcoin Depot, there are no anonymous transactions at every purchase amount from our minimum of $20 to our maximum of $15,000 per day per person, you have to submit identifying information. We're collecting photo ID. We're verifying that you are the person on that ID. We're collecting social security number. We're doing blockchain monitoring. So there's just a number of things that happen in the back end for these transactions that someone just simply wouldn't realize in front of a Bitcoin Depot ATM so we're very focused on compliance. Um, you can ask the GSR team their view on it, but it was probably the most important factor in selecting us as an acquisition target. Putting aside you know, the growth and financial profile, it's important for us back to be doing business with someone who will pass all the checks required in the diligence phase, as well as ultimately be approved by the SEC. So are you considering deepening your banking and payment services for customers? And what do you think you would look at adding first? Well, I wouldn't say that we are providing banking or payment services. I think the exchanges are probably closer to that definition, allowing someone to use the exchanges as a custodian and allowing you know, various other companies potentially ability to connect you with a counterparty to trade with or transmit Bitcoin on your behalf to someone else. We don't conduct any of those activities. All we do is we sell Bitcoin through our Bitcoin ATMs and our other no hardware product called BD Checkout that allows you to buy Bitcoin with cash through our app at the checkout counter of over 8,000 retail locations. Right now, we're really focused on 
expanding our internal capabilities with the software platform that we own. Uh, we did buy a company in the space called BitAccess over a year ago. And what product they have is what powers our Bitcoin Debo ATMs and a number of competitors Bitcoin ATMs as well. It's really the core operating system, almost like Windows for your computer. And a lot of our competitors will pay a huge portion of the revenue to the software providers. So we wanted to buy that company to be vertically integrated to help us bolt on competitor acquisitions, other hardware operators, but to also reduce costs um, by eliminating you know, that software licensing fee. And in addition to that, it has allowed us to create new products, which is how we launched BD Checkout, that new hardware product I was telling you about a few months ago. And you'll see in our investor deck as well, that's public, a couple of other things we can do with that platform is accepting credit and debit cards on our own kiosks, as well as building a solution for traditional ATMs to accept credit and debit for the purchase of Bitcoin. That's not something that we've announced. We haven't given any timeline on a roadmap when we would do that. I simply provide that as an example of some other ways that we can continue to build new products and continue to grow our revenue. And that's just one example of what we can do. Our hardware is really modular as well. And the exact same style of hardware that we used is being used today out in the world for bill pay, check cashing, even sports betting as well. So there's plenty of ways that we can add on additional services. I've even seen digital advertising toppers as well added on top of kiosks that can produce additional revenue with the same footprint and you know, very little additional hardware. But as far as what our plans are once we're public, besides that, is to really focus on that M&A strategy, building other products for us, like I mentioned, is a very long time horizon. You know, we can't build something within a year that's going to add on $20 million in EBITDA. That's a software product like that for a new way to purchase Bitcoin. And really for us to, to grow EBITDA quite fast and quite meaningful is to buy some other Bitcoin ATM companies, whether they're struggling and our vertical integrated solution allows us to cut most of their costs and then be profitable or whether they're already doing extremely well and they're profitable and they just want to take some chips off the table. We can provide that opportunity. And I think those areas are really going to be the most meaningful to our bottom line in the coming years. And for us as a company versus a lot of other SPACs, we're not looking to go public and immediately add a bunch of expenses to our PNL and focus on revenue. Our focus is growing that EBITDA number and ultimately net income as much as we can. And those are the ways that I believe we can do that. Great. And that's really what I wanted to get into next is, you know, moving back to the kind of the deal. And we've talked about timing and just some of the things that are going on right now. But, you know, just given that you're already profitable, you know, why did you decide now was uh, the right time to go to the public markets rather than sitting it out for a little bit longer and continuing that growth? You've mentioned that there's that big M&A opportunity out there. And is timing an aspect on that as well? It just kind of worked out that we were ready to be a public company around this time. But I think the market where it is today and the deflated valuations that company have 
allow us to buy companies at a much lower multiple than a few years ago. I think in 2020 and 2021, there are just a lot of companies that had inflated valuations from inflated numbers, from stimulus payments and extra discretionary income because people were staying inside and weren't really spending on a lot of things. Now at this point, we think there's some attractive targets for us to buy out there uh, to continue to grow with. And, you know, I just want to be the leading player in the space. I'm not really focused on timing. I'm focused on how do we continue to accelerate growth and going public, I believed was the best way for us to load up our balance sheet with a bunch of cash. And I think as we have more conversations with investors, as the months have gone on, we've been able to clearly see that the interest level as a company that is soon to be public is likely much higher than it would be if we were a private company at the moment. And just even telling people, you know, hey, we have KPMG audited financials is just showing so much legitimacy as well. People are really surprised at that. And it, it allows us to just attract very sophisticated large institutions. Yeah. And my kind of the corollary of that question is also just simply, you know, why a SPAC? You know, what what was attractive about the SPAC rep for you? And I guess it's kind of a question for Gus as well as kind of looking back the other direction. What were some of the qualities you saw in Bitcoin that made it look like this is a particularly good fit for a SPAC transaction and, and a competitive time for what a SPAC can bring on, on your end? For us, there were a couple of different paths. We could have stayed private, but we didn't really see a lot of viable options that were not leveraged buyouts from big private equity. There, there just wasn't a lot of private equity, I feel like, ready at the time to buy a minority stake in the company. I still own 100% of the company on paper today. And going public in general and, and through a SPAC just opened up a lot more doors. With a SPAC versus just doing a traditional IPO, we believed it was a lot more possible for us to raise a larger amount of money, considering the SPAC that we partnered with, GSR2 Meteorta, has over $300 million in trust. And it's always easier to convince someone to leave their money in a deal when it's already there versus to uh, try and ask for money from people who have no business relationship with your entity or any affiliated entities whatsoever. And additionally, we also just wanted some guidance as well with people who had skin in the game and financial incentives to help us and help promote us. And we believed that SPACs allowed us to do that. And more importantly, the team that we partnered up with are some of the most experienced SPAC advisors in the entire industry. And they've been around, I believe Gus and Lou have been around in SPACs for something like 15 years. So with that all being said, uh, it allowed us a quicker timeline and ability to raise more money at a reduced cost versus a traditional IPO. Yeah, I mean, look, some of the, the, the things that we've, we've mentioned before are, are absolutely the, the most important from our perspective. You know, this company being a leader in an in industry, being the logical consolidator so you've got a path to continued growth. This business has had a long track record of profitability and they are you know, doing everything by the book when it comes to compliance, when it comes to AML, KYC, they have a very deep team dedicated solely to ensuring compliance with all federal, state, local laws. 
And that's very important in a, in a money services business, which at the end of the day, this is a money services business. It's a money transmitter business. That alone attracted us. But then as we thought about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and the fact that it's, in our view, really here to stay, it's, it's a long-term trend, but people didn't have a great way to play the space without the volatility. And Bitcoin Depot has historically not had correlation to Bitcoin prices. Right? Their volumes have increased despite the volatility that we see in, in Bitcoin prices and all the headlines that we've heard within the cryptocurrency space. So, you know, out, outside of, you know, putting cryptocurrency aside, just the profile of the company is, is fantastic. It's fantastic for the public markets. Um, it's what investors are typically looking for, profitability, proven business, long track record, and a consolidator um, in the space, a natural consolidator, since they're the number one company by far, and a founder that's looking to uh, expand. You know, he really believes in this business. He believes in the long-term trend of Bitcoin. He believes in the long-term trend of Bitcoin ATMs. And so all, all of that together, we loved from, from the SPAC perspective and from a, just a public company perspective. And you know, we, we, we think that on the GSR side, having been through so many different SPAC transactions and all sorts of market conditions, you know, we, we started back in, in 2005 um, advising on SPAC transactions. There's a lot of benefits to the, to the SPAC space there's also a lot of hurdles to navigate. And that's exactly what we're experts in doing, helping Bitcoin Depot get to the public markets in an efficient way, raising capital in an efficient way, and really kickstarting that consolidation story that is, is the thesis for Bitcoin Depot.